0: good morning everyone welcome it's good to be together this morning my name is Paul Buckley I'm the lead pastor here my privilege to bring you God's word it's part of our worship celebration part of what we do encountering the Lord uh, through the different ways that he's instructed us in scripture worship and song sharing of his word uh, biblical use of prophetic ministry sacrament and the proclamation of his words. So and now we are spending time before him listening to his word. He's given us his word in this amazing book which is the very words of God. Not just things that contain the words of God or kind of points us to the word of God but but is the very words of God. And um, Because he's a speaking God, he loves to speak to us, to communicate to us. His word is living and active so through uh, the gift of pastoral teaching and the ministry that comes uh, in the proclamation of the word we experience God and his intention this morning is not just to instruct us through this but to uh, confront us with who he is and all of his goodness and mercy and grace and all of his holiness and glory and and all of that means and probably in many different ways as we sit and listen because he knows what's going on in your life he knows what's on your mind and on your heart right now. He knows what's going on this morning and this past week. He knows what's going on tomorrow morning and the following week as well. And before time began, He knew all this stuff. And believe it or not, He orchestrated all, all these things even this morning and even the, the Scriptures and song through song and this message as well. So it's wonderful to, to be before the Lord and His Word. And it's, it is really my privilege to bring you God's Word. We are in our, a series called Long Story Short. We're looking at um, key figures and key aspects of the Old Testament. Really understanding that to know God, to know God the way that He wants us to know Him, requires that we know His Word. It requires that we know the Old Testament. This is a part of the Bible we often neglect. You know, we kind of know, know the end of the story in a lot of ways as we read the New Testament. and So we can think, oh, I don't need to read the beginning. But it's in the beginning and it's in the stories that are there that comprise really uh, the majority of our Bible that we experience God. We get to know Him and we get to know what it's like to be His people. There's a context to it all that brings fullness and life to us in real ways. So that's why we're doing this series. And so this morning we're going to look at King David. And the title of the message is uh, Greater Than King David. We'll be talking about King David, but also a greater king, Jesus. And it's appropriate really that... uh, We talk about this on this Sunday. As Jeff mentioned, we just inaugurated our 45th president, President Donald Trump. And um, I don't know if anybody caught part of the inauguration. Anyone watched some of it? I did. I watched The Swearing In and some other things. I read his speech, important things, I think, for us as citizens to uh, be involved in. And as we did, we're called to pray for our, our leaders, to pray for our president, Those scriptures uh, that Jeff read were given to people who lived under the Roman Empire, and probably at the time, the emperor was the famous, infamous emperor named Nero. (laughs) And so they're being called to pray for Nero. And so uh, no matter what we might think about our president, past or present, um, I don't think any of them have measured up to Nero in infamy. And so we can certainly pray and support our president, but there's an aspect of the presidency, no matter who it might be, whether it's President Trump, and certainly he's been controversial, but but President Obama as well, and probably most presidents have had controversy, have uh, stood for things or done things that that test us and make us feel uneasy. Certainly, I think this presidency will will shake and test the the unity of the American people and its confidence in the American political system. Maybe right now. You are feeling that. You feel like, wow, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can trust this political system like I used to. I would submit to you there are probably people last president who felt the same as well (laughs) for different reasons. And in some ways, that's appropriate. In some ways, it isn't a bad thing. Because it reminds us that as noble as the goals of a presidency might be and as eager as we might be for a good president, each president will fall short. They'll fall short in their promises, living up to the promises, maybe their campaign promises, or just the promise of the office of president and what it could be. They'll fall short in that. They will fail to fulfill certain promises. They will fall short in character. There'll be something one way or the other, some more than others, but they'll fall short in character. there will be something that they do and we've seen that haven't we? We've seen presidents fall short in these things, fall short in campaign promises, fall short in character in some shocking ways at times. They will all fall short in ability. There'll be things that they don't do that they shouldn't have, things that they're ineffective with. Maybe it's the economy. They're not able to fix the economy. Maybe it's the foreign policy and what's going on in the world, they're not able to bring an end to ISIS or whatever it might be. They'll fall short. And they'll all fall short in some way in caring for the American people, at least some segment of the American people. So they all fall short in these ways. And and isn't our experience of presidents about these things? Haven't we seen this in some way? And isn't our, our struggles with the fact that they fall short in these ways? Now, I don't mean to dismiss that, I don't mean to say, that well, it doesn't matter that, you know, that they fall short or not. But what I mean to say is, I mean to point us to the fact that our human leaders will always fall short in these ways. And today we're going to look at King David. And King David is really, in the Bible, just about the best king ever. He's a glorious king, and, and in an aspect of promise and character and ability and care for people, he excels. We're going to see that as we look at the story. But the reason I am titling it The Greater King is because in the, the storyline of the Bible, even as great as King David was, his life, both in its greatness and in his failures, is meant to point us to the greater king. And I would submit to you that not only is the story of King David intended that way, but the story of life and your experience with whatever you might feel about President Trump or previous presidents is ultimately meant to point you to the greater King the only one who rules in true justice and peace and wisdom the one true King of Kings and Lord of Lords Jesus Christ the promised King in the great line of David so we're gonna dig into this I actually want to start in Acts chapter 2 Uh, That's in the New Testament, but it's a passage where Peter is proclaiming the gospel and the truth about Christ by pointing to David and the promises given through David and through the the type of David, the the fact that he was king and what that points to. To give a little context before we read and before we pray even, uh, this sermon is given 50 days after Christ has risen from the grave. And uh, I think it's 10 days after he's ascended. He's already ascended into heaven. He's reigning in heaven. And he pours out the Holy Spirit on God's people as they assemble to pray. They experience the power of the Holy Spirit in a a new and glorious way uh, in fulfillment of Joel 2. And so Peter talks about that, and then he digs into the passage we're going to look at. But first, before we read that passage, let me pray for us that we might hear God as his word is read and proclaimed this morning. Lord, we ask you this morning, as we look at the life of King David, as we read your word together, uh, would you speak to us? Would you teach us, Lord? Would you, would you change us? How we think about ourselves, how we think about life, how we think about being Americans in this time, and how we relate to others in light of all this. Speak to us, we pray. Help me, Lord, to proclaim your word and to teach it. And, and Lord, in all this, um, we, want, we want to listen to you. And I pray I would fade in the background. We would be hearing from you and changed by you. You would glorify your name through this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse uh, 22, actually. This is a portion of Peter's sermon. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. God's word from Acts chapter 2. Peter is speaking to God's people, to the Jewish people. And using psalms written by David and using truths about David to ultimately point to Jesus. And so I want to talk about this connection today. I want to talk about the connection between David and Jesus. I want to talk about who David was and what he was like, but ultimately how that points to Jesus. And then I want, I want to do that in four particular ways. First, I want to talk about the promise of a greater king. I want to talk about The person, that Jesus is greater than David in his person. I want to talk about Jesus is greater than David in his power. And I want to talk about that Jesus is greater than David in his provision. So four Ps that hopefully will help you remember that. I think there's notes if you want to follow along. So first, in promise. That's what we see in this passage. Peter mentions King David a number of times here. And... It's not just because he's proof texting, trying to find a Bible verse that somehow will explain what's going on. It's because there is this vital connection between Jesus and David. There is a promise to David that's fulfilled in Jesus. There are promises that David gives in the Psalms, prophetic promises, that Jesus fulfills. They were looking for these promises to be fulfilled as God's people. They were aware of what God had said to, to David. And we'll look at that shortly. They were aware of those promises that they actually occur throughout the Old Testament. We won't look at all the verses that talk about that. But God promised this greater shepherd, this shepherd like King David, that would come. And promised David that he would have a descendant on the throne for, forever. And so they were looking for this king. And the word that they used for this king was Messiah. The Messiah, and you've probably heard that they were looking for the Messiah. Messiah just means anointed, anointed with oil, and the connection there is that when a king was selected as king, he would have been anointed with oil, and the oil symbolized God's blessing and setting apart of that king for service as king. And so David, when he was young, and we, we a couple weeks ago learned about the life of Saul, when Saul had failed and kind of gone off the rails. David had the, uh, God had the prophet Samuel go to David and anoint him with oil as a young man. So he was the anointed one. He was the king. That is where the word Messiah comes from. The Greek version of that word, anointed, is like the word christen. Shortened Christian, we get Christ. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus Messiah, Jesus the anointed one, Jesus the king. So King Jesus and Jesus Christ really are synonymous. And so in this passage, as they are hearing Peter, they're connecting these things. The Messiah, King David. This is the promised one. That's what's going on here. Uh, Peter is explaining these promises to them. And they are making these connections between David and Jesus. Between the Messiah and who Jesus is. The promised Messiah in the type of David and Jesus. And so Peter quotes from Psalms written by David. Psalm 16. This is a psalm that David wrote and it's a psalm where uh, David is pouring out his heart and finding his refuge in God and that's where he mentions that um, he says that he will not abandon my soul to to Hades. That's the grave. So so David is saying that and David's putting his hope in God that he's not going to abandon me. Peter says well, factually, actually David died and physically was buried so in a sense he did go to the grave and so David was looking forward to someone who would literally fulfill this, fully fulfill this. Jesus, who was not abandoned to the grave, who did not remain in the grave, but on the third day rose again victorious over sin and death. So David was in his psalm was actually pointing to Jesus. And then there was this promise given to David in 2nd Samuel 7. In the context in 2nd Samuel 7, David is just, he's a man after God's own heart. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And he's zealous for the Lord. And at that point in time, he had established the, the capital city of Jerusalem as the capital for the Jewish people. And a wonderful story behind that and how he did that. And, uh, you can read it later. Uh, he established his capital city. And yet they were still worshiping God. And God, the temple was the tabernacle. It was the tent form of the temple. And so David was living in the city and he was zealous for the Lord. He said, Lord, I want to build you a house. I want to build you a house where, where we can come and worship you because you're worthy and we love you and you're the center of, of who we are as a, as a nation. So he wanted to build a house for God. And, and God, through the prophet Nathan, said, you're not going to be the one to build a house. Your son will. But I'm going to build you a house. And he makes a promise to David. Uh, an astounding promise. It says in 2 Samuel 7. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for ever. An astounding promise to David. I'm going to build you a house and establish your throne forever. Now, this promise was partially fulfilled and David's son Solomon, Solomon took the throne, Solomon built the house to worship the Lord, Solomon's kingdom was established and was strong. But ultimately, it's fulfilled in Jesus. The promise is fulfilled in Jesus, and so Peter points to that in this message that he's giving. And he says from Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That the Lord said to my Lord, so David's saying, David probably doesn't fully know what he's saying, but he's saying the Lord said to my Lord, so God said to my Lord, my God, um, I will make Sit on my throne and I will make th- your enemies my, your footstool. Until you reign, and make your enemies your footstool. So there's a promise there, but there's also an implication that this, is, this one who is to take this throne is to be God himself. And is to be David's Lord. And so Jesus actually, in, uh, when he's questioning the Pharisees, the, Pharisee, Pharisee, the Pharisees are questioning him, he turns around and says, i got a question for you. What does this verse mean? If, de- if the Messiah is supposed to be a descendant of David, yet David calls him his Lord, how can that be? You don't call your descendant, you don't call your son, your grandson, your Lord. But that's what it says in the psalm. And so Jesus is pointing to the fact that this, that this promise to David is fulfilled in a, a way that they didn't expect, a fuller way. And Jesus, as God in the flesh, who would come and indeed be David's Lord, but also be David's descendant, and, and who would rise from the dead and ascend to the throne of God in victory over sin and death, and sit on that throne until all His enemies are made His footstool. The reign of Christ is a reign that continues until all of His enemies bow before Him. That's what's going on in in this message that Peter is bringing. Jesus is superior to David in the fulfillment of promise. Now David fulfilled promises for sure, for through David... The kingdom was established. The kingdom promised to the people of Israel that they would own this land and they would dwell in the land and that God would be at their center. And under the, king, under the reign of David, they experienced that. But there was a greater promise and a greater reign to come in Jesus. So ultimately, ultimately, as we look at David and as great as David is, we're to look through David to the greater king, to the greater promise, to Jesus Himself. So he's greater. Jesus is greater than David in promise. He's greater than David in his person. David was a remarkable man. Uh, He was called a man after God's own heart. What a description. Can you imagine being called that? A man or a woman after God's own heart. When someone thinks of you, yes. A man or woman after God's own heart. And in, in some ways for every believer that's true. But that's a remarkable accolade and that's how David was described. He. This was actually said in contrast to Saul, the previous king. Saul had been king, and Saul was not a man after God's own heart. He was a man after his own heart. <laughs> he was more interested in his own glory, in his own reputation, in his own comfort, than in God. And so God chose this man, David, who was a man after God's own heart, a man who loved God. And we see this in the life of David. You just have to read the Psalms. These Psalms. The, And a a large portion of the Psalms were written by David. Psalm 5, we see David in prayer. He says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to You do I pray. O Lord, in the morning You hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for You. And watch. David was a man after God's own heart in his prayer life. He was a man after God's own heart in his regard for the Word of God. Psalm 19. In keeping them, there is great reward. He was a man after God's own heart in his regard for God's Word. He was a man after God's own heart in his praise of God. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. David's heart in worship. Psalm 63, we see his heart and just how he, what he thought about life and what he thought about the Lord. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Hallelujah. David found his life in the steadfast love of the Lord as we read about this morning, earlier the steadfast love of the Lord. This, he says it's better than life. My life is about your steadfast love. I live because you love me. I want to love you back. That's David's heart. Even in confession of sin, Psalm 51, a wonderful psalm by the way, when you need to confess sin, which is probably regular. <laughs> psalm 51, even in his confession of sin, David's heart shines. He says in verse 4, Against you, you only have I sinned. And I know what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And then verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. David's confession of his sin is Godward. He's not like, Oh Lord, just keep, keep everyone from finding out what, what really went on. Preserve my reputation here somehow. I mean, just come on, make it easier. I'll try to do better. No, against you, you only have I sinned. His sin, if you know the story, we'll get to it in a little bit, was against others in very serious ways. But David understood that at the heart of it was his sin against God. And so he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. It, it's, it's not your fault. It's all my fault. and I've sinned against you, and you are just and right to deal with me. And then his prayer is, create in me a clean heart, oh God. I want my heart to be clean for you. Renew a right spirit within me. Grant me repentance from this sin, that I would love you purely and not fall back into that cast me not away from your presence take not your holy spirit from me god you're my everything and the worst thing that could happen to me is to be cut off from you restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit so that's david's heart even in confession a man after god's own heart if there ever was a man after god's own heart it was david he loved god more than anyone else more than his reputation or or power or comfort, and he loved just to live in that love, counting it better than life itself. As we read about the life of David, there's a couple things that we should do in, in light of who he is, in light of this truth that he's a man after God's own heart. We should be encouraged by his example and led to follow it. But in that also, I think we should realize I fall short of that heart so often. God's Word works in us to call us to what right living and truth is, but also to convict us where we fall short of that. And we do. As great as an example as he is, we fall short of that. And David himself as well fell short of his own ideal in very significant ways. The story at times is glorious and wonderful and beautiful, And other times, ugly and hideous and tragic. Shortly after God made this promise to David of an eternal throne, David did the unthinkable. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Should have been off leading his men. He was hanging out at the palace. We don't know why. What was going on? Maybe he was in a season in his life where he just was like, ah, I'm just feeling down. I just want to hang out or whatever. I, and whatever went on, we don't know. I think we encounter times like that, don't we? And those are the times where we need to reach out for help, go to a friend. Hey, I'm struggling here. I just feel like I don't want to be king anymore. I don't want to be a dad anymore or a mom anymore or, or a Christian anymore. Would you pray with me? We want to go and get help. Whatever was going on with David, he was vulnerable in that place hanging out in the palace, saw a woman uh, taking a bath, and that was part of the culture and how they would do that, and he's up on the roof and should have turned away and gone downstairs. They lusted, and he brought the woman into his palace, committed adultery with her. If that wasn't bad enough, he, when she was, became pregnant, he had the husband killed. In a lot of ways, it doesn't get worse than that. Adultery, bold adultery in this way, and then murder. David's sins were serious and tragic. There are other sins in his life too. This was the most serious. But if you read the story, there's other things. At one point, he numbers his fighting men out of a heart of pride and self-sufficiency. Almost saying that, you know, it's all about how many fighting men I have. It's not about you, God. He did it in a way that was boldly rebellious to the Lord. He failed to adequately parent his children. The, The story of his sons is tragic. Four of his sons, four of his sons died as a result of ungodliness in some way. The son that Bathsheba lost, Absalom, Amnon, the son that Absalom killed, and Adonijah, who Tried to usurp Solomon, was put to death. Four of his sons. Can you imagine? Some very serious sins in David's life. And these sins, these failures of David, as great as he was, are meant to create in us a longing for a greater king. And also, in that, we need to see ourselves. We need to see that, you know, we, we may not do those exact things, but we fall short. Not only does David, we need a greater David, not only does David need a greater one than himself, but we need someone to come and rescue us in our lives. And how we have fallen short. Again, in the Bible, these stories are not meant to say, man, David blew it, didn't he? And by the way, we should not look at our president that way, quick to say, wow, he's blowing it, without looking at our own hearts and our own lives, being humble. When we read these stories, they should cause us to examine ourselves and say, oh God, rescue us. And the rescue comes indeed in the life of Jesus the greater David who is greater than Him in His person. Not only in the fulfillment of promises, but in His person. For this one had a heart after God unlike any other. Far surpassing David in his heart for God and far surpassing David in his faithfulness in that heart. He prayed Himself. Continually to the Lord. Jesus sought the Lord. He would would often go off to a solitary place to pray. Before he picked the disciples, he prayed all night long. His prayer life was so notable that Jewish, faithful Jewish men who were schooled in prayer watched him pray and said, basically, I don't know anything about prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. That's where they say, Lord, teach us to pray. They saw His prayer life. They saw the depth. They would have been in prayer themselves, but they, they wanted to learn from Him, the One who prayed in such amazing ways. And we see His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane as He's facing the most horrific thing any human would ever face, the cross and the full wrath of God for sin. And what does He do? He prays. He pours out his heart to God in and, and such desperation and faith that he, he sweats, and he sweats blood in his earnest prayer, pouring out his heart to God. Jesus had a heart after God unlike any other. He loved God's Word. He staked his entire life on it. He went to the cross. Even death on the cross for the sake of God's Word. He stood strong and firm in the Word. After 40 days of fasting, Satan came and tempted Him. He stood by the Word of God. His whole life was about the Word. He Himself is the eternal living Word. He was a perfect worshiper of His Father. He lived for the glory of the Father. John 17, He prays, The Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You. And 1 Corinthians 15, 24 teaches us that ultimately, He's doing all things in His victory on the cross, in His resurrection, His reign, to turn it all over to His Father. For the Father to be glorified. It says there, then the end comes when He delivers the kingdom of God to the the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. He's turning it all over to the Father eventually because He loves the Father. So in every way, He's a man after God's own heart. In every way, he's been faithful. In every way, he's been true. And and this connects into the story of David. And it connects into our experience of learning from David's life. For we should look at David in his heart and think, I want to be like David. I want to be one who prays like that. I want to be one who worships like that. I want to be one who loves the Word like that. I want to be one who confesses my sin like that but also to recognize in that we fall short. So we should yearn for that, but recognize we're going to fall short. And in that sin, in our sin, in falling short of what's good and right, we look to the greater David, who never failed, who always had the right heart, and then who went to the cross to die for our sins, to die for David's sins, so that could be forgiveness in that and righteousness on His behalf that we could be forgiven and loved and accepted in our failures that's the wonderful good news of the of the greater david he gave us all he did all these things ultimately for the glory of the father but the good of his people all those who would trust in the greater David. so to run to him to flee to him for forgiveness and then to look to him for power because not only does he do all this to forgive us but he rises from the dead and he reigns and he sends his spirit into our hearts and among us, that by His power, together as we walk together, we can become more and more like Him. We can return back to the example of David with fresh forgiveness and fresh power. To say, Lord, make me one of praise like that, and worship's like that. That's the cycle of the Scripture, how the Scriptures to work in our lives, how these stories are to work. They're to call us into. Something noble, but then to convict us of falling short. Then to direct us to Christ. We might flee to Him and find forgiveness and then find find fresh power and life in Him together to now again walk in holiness. Jesus is greater than David in person, greater than David in power as well. The story of David is is a story of a a powerful king. It starts in the, the beginning. You guys, many I'm sure of you know the story of Goliath. David is a young man. It's very early on um, in in his uh, almost reign. He's in his late teens and everyone's afraid of this guy, Goliath. Goliath is a huge, towering warrior. He's he's gigantic. He's powerful. He's like superhuman. Even the greatest battle tested warriors among Israel, Saul included, who would have been a pretty big guy himself, they're all terrified by this guy Goliath and Goliath is there taunting the armies of God taunting them and David this little pipsqueak teenager steps up as God's anointed as God's chosen deliverer under God's power so this is just not normal human activity he steps forward and with a simple sling and a stone slays Goliath it's an amazing story He's a man of great power in his anointing as king being chosen. And he slays this giant. He's a man who slays spiritual giants too. In the story with Saul, Saul's afflicted by a demon. And David's got spiritual power and he plays his harp thing and sings worship songs and the demon's driven out and flees and brings peace to Saul. So this is a man who walks in spiritual power as well. In his reign, he conquers a vast tract, of land for Israel really the, the largest the kingdom ever was was under David it went to the north within a hundred miles of the Euphrates River all the way down to the Sinai great kings all around brought him tribute, and it was really the pinnacle of, of conquering and ruling the land the promises made to Israel were actualized under the reign of David and the kingdom was prosperous and great and then Solomon kept that going even more Yet his reign was short-lived. By the time his grandson ruled, he ruled over a territory about half the size of David's territory. And if you read the story in Chronicles and Kings, you'll see that eventually the line of David itself failed. And all the land was lost to invading armies. And they went into exile. It didn't last and the storyline, even as great as it is, at the pinnacle, the failure causes us to look for someone greater, and that greater one is Jesus. And He defeated himself, his own Goliath. The Goliath Jesus defeated was way more formidable than David's Goliath. The Goliath that Jesus defeated towers over every man and woman and conquers and dominates pretty much everybody. It's a terrible foe who cruelly enslaves people, who mocks God and laughs at all those who oppose. Jesus, Goliath, appeared invincible. The name of that Goliath is sin, and the armor-bearer is Satan. But Jesus came and defeated this Goliath in a way that was unexpected. He didn't take sin on in a direct battle like David did with Goliath. Instead, He outwitted Satan and sin by going to the cross as a humble servant to suffer the penalty of sin's reign. To die Himself in the place of others, all those who would trust in Him to suffer the penalty of sin's reign Himself on the cross, to bear the holy justice of God for sin, and to die and to pay its penalty fully, completely, to the point where He was satisfied, the Father, and He was raised from the dead on the third day, victorious over sin and death and Satan. He outmaneuvered sin in His substitutionary death and rose victorious on the third day and defeated sin and Satan, made a public spectacle of them, through the cross. The greatest Goliath has been slain by Jesus once and for all. And His resurrection attests to the fact that He stands victorious over sin and death and over this champion. And all those who flee to Jesus are victorious in Him as well. There's no greater victory than this one. And now the reign of Christ is meant to extend not just almost to the Euphrates, but from the Euphrates to the Yukon. From the Sinai to the Singapore to the whole world. Every person. Every square inch of human existence is to come under His reign. He is reigning until all His enemies are made a footstool. That's that's what's going on now. That's what we live in now. This victory that He has accomplished over sin and death is to be extended to all. He's ruling and reigning. And He's ruling and reigning over the church. And He calls His church to be the ambassadors and the warriors who extend that reign in a very unworldly way. Not through violence, worldly violence. Not through bloodshed. But through love and truth and self-sacrifice. Through going and making Him known to those who don't through prayer, through building and planting churches that shine as lights in every community throughout the world, that all the harvest might come in. Then when His work is done through the church and His reign is done and the full number come in, then He Himself will return and judge the living and the dead and all will bow their knee before Him and proclaim Him as Lord. And He will renew the earth and we will live under the fullness of His reign. Jesus exceeds David in his power and in his reign, and we are to live under that. I just read, and I mentioned this briefly, about some of our brothers and sisters in Syria, some who just gave their lives within the past year or two because of this truth. Because they understood that Jesus reigns and has accomplished a victory, and though there may be passing rains as cruel as that of ISIS. They will not bow their knees to them, but be faithful. And there are brothers and sisters who have given their lives, put to death and crucified, tortured and cru- crucified. One particular group, uh, when ISIS was closing in on Aleppo uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago, were told to leave, and they said, we don't want to leave. Because People need to be cared for in Christ's name and they need to hear about Jesus. And so when everyone else said flee, they stayed. And it cost them their lives. And the witnesses who were there, not Christian witnesses, as they watched them be tortured and crucified, said that they prayed and worshipped even to the end. Because they knew that Jesus' reign is real. And all those around need to know. And we are part of making Him known no matter what it may cost us. His reign is eternal and meaningful. Finally and quickly, Jesus is greater than David in provision. David was a faithful, generous king. He provided stability and prosperity for his people. He was very capable in that. But there's one particular story I think that illustrates David's heart. There was a young man at the time named Mephibosheth. And David took over for Saul, and and Mephibosheth was a grandson of Saul. He was actually the son of Jonathan, David's very, very close friend. And Mephibosheth was a little boy, actually, when Saul and Jonathan were killed. And in the panic, his nurse picked him up to flee the house, thinking that, you know, now that Saul and Jonathan are dead, David and his men are going to come in and they're going to kill everybody to take over Saul's reign. And so she fled and she dropped him in the process. He was crippled in his legs. And once David's reign was established, David sought Mephibosheth out. And understandably, Mephibosheth was scared. He thought, oh no, I'm being called to David's presence. He's going to kill me because I'm one of Saul's descendants. And that's not at all what he did. David brought Mephibosheth into his house. He gave Mephibosheth the inheritance of Saul. All the property was given to him. And he had him sit at his own table, treated as a member of his own household, fed and cared for, and, and a, a, a family member. It's an amazing example of David's heart and who he was and his care. His regard for Saul and Jonathan and, and his mercy on Mephibosheth. Say that ten times. <laughs> uh, but it's just a great story. And I would say to you that Jesus is like David in that. The reality is, guys, we are all Mephibosheths. We are members of a rival family. We are at enmity with the true king. We are all Crippled by our sin, and Jesus seeks us out. And He gives us the inheritance, the inheritance even promised to Adam and Eve that they failed in. He gives us that. He gives us the inheritance He has earned. He calls us to sit at the table and to live with Him and to walk with Him. And we now belong to Him through faith. And He works in our lives all things for our good. He walks with us daily. He's there when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. His goodness and loving kindness will follow us all of our days. He has given us His very life and He'll take care of us in every way. He's greater than David in His provision. He is the greater King. So this morning, I just want to encourage you guys to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the the one greater in promise, the one greater in person, the one greater in power, the one greater in provision. Look at the life of David, but through the life of David, look to Jesus in everything. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You. We thank You for David, and we thank You even more for You, Jesus, the greater David. And I pray You'd help us to look to You today. And each day, there is no one like you. We thank you for your mercy and grace and goodness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.